The religion of Islam teaches that Jesus is a prophet of God. We as Christians do too. But we believe he is much more than just a prophet. So how do we share our faith in Jesus with our Muslim friends? This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukarin. Dr. Zukarin is a popular speaker, author, and scholar dealing with today's most pressing spiritual issues. Today, he gives insight into Islam from a Christian perspective and discusses how to dialogue with our Muslim friends on the earth-shattering issue of who Jesus Christ is. Now, not only will you find multiple resources on Islam, but on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism when you go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Dr. Zukarin's books, articles, interviews with leading scholars, and past radio shows are there for download at evidenceandanswers.org. Browse the topics and then contact us and tell us what you think. We always love to hear from you. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And now here's Pat Zukarin with part one on sharing Christ with Muslims. What we're talking about tonight, the religion of Islam, represents not only one of the greatest challenges to the Christian faith, it represents one of the great challenges to Western civilization of our time. If you see what's going on in the news, if you see what goes on in countries where Islam is a dominant religion, you discover that many of the freedoms are lost as the goal of Islam is to bring the entire world under the banner of Islam and institute Sharia law. And many in the West do not understand that Islam, the religion, is not a tolerant religion. And when they come into a particular country, many Muslims will abide by the laws of the land. But once they get to between 10 and 20 percent, then they begin to demand Sharia law. Understand, Islam is not a religion of peace. But Muslims, most of the Muslims you are going to meet are peaceful people. All right, so the religion may not be a peaceful and tolerant religion, but many of the Muslims that you're going to meet, especially here in the West, are peace-loving kinds of people. So this represents one of the greatest challenges, the second fastest growing religion in the world. It dominates the Middle East. Uh, I have spent a lot of time in Africa, and in Africa the goal of countries such as Libya and Saudi Arabia is to convert Africa into an Islamic continent and so they're investing millions of dollars in establishing mosques and Islamic centers there in Africa but not only in Africa but throughout the West and throughout the United States you know in Dallas where I lived for 20 years when I first got there there was one Islamic mosque 20 years ago now there are close to 30 there in the Dallas Fort Worth area and we receive countless phone calls from Christian ministries throughout the United States constantly requesting me to come and speak on this topic because they're saying many of our women, many of the women who lead ministries in our churches and in our campus ministries are marrying Muslim men and converting to Islam thinking that they're worshiping the same God. And so this represents one of the great challenges that we face. And when the church has faced challenges, we're not called to back off and stand behind our walls, we're called to go forth and engage the ideas of the culture and other belief systems with love and with the truth of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 begins like this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every 
lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're called as Christians to engage the ideas of our culture, to engage different belief systems. And Paul says here to demolish strongholds and to destroy arguments in every opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. The Greek word there, kataskapto, means to dig down to its foundations and overturn, to destroy all speculations and ideas that keep people from coming to know Jesus Christ. We're not called to back off, but to engage the challenge of Islam with love and the truth. And if this is God's truth, then we're called to defend God's word from challenges that come upon it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer or give a reason to everyone who asks you the hope that you have within you and to do this with gentleness and respect. There are many ways to share Christ with Muslims. And one of the great things going on in our world today is many Muslims are coming to know Christ. Okay? But there are many ways to share with Muslims. I just want to share an approach that uh, we have developed. It's one as I was in my doctoral studies. It's another approach that I had to develop as well. Uh, it's an apologetics kind of presentation in sharing Christ with Muslims. But this is not the only way. There are many ways. Now, I want to share with you an experience we had in Uganda a couple of years ago. Uh, Uganda is a country that uh, Gaddafi of Libya and Saudi Arabia have poured millions, millions of dollars into. And they have been going up there, setting up mosques and Islamic centers all over that country. And Fort Portal was a city that we were in. And as soon as you enter Fort Portal, the first thing you saw was an Islamic mosque there built by Qaddafi. That's the first thing you see when you go in there. The Christians over there are worshiping in small, little, what appear to be like huts there in Uganda. Uh, but here is a huge Islamic mosque. And when you look to the left up on a mountain, there was a huge building up there. I thought it was a hotel. And they said, no, that's the mansion that Qaddafi built for the tribal king. He went up to the tribal king and said, if you convert to Islam, I'll give you lots of money. I'll build you a castle right up here. And so the king converted to Islam. He's got a huge castle up there, and Qaddafi built this mosque there. And when the, we met with the pastors there at the pastors' conference, they were really downtrodden. They are really, you know, and they, they came up and they said, Brother, you know, the Muslims are coming up to our pastors and saying, Hey, we worship the same God. If you convert to Islam, we'll give you a good paycheck, give you a car, and we'll give you a big house. Come on, join Islam. And they said, Hey, many of the pastors have gone to join Islam. Brother, will you come out here and will you help us out? And so we met in an uh, auditorium, which was actually right behind this mosque. So they could hear everything that we were saying. And so one of the jobs that I was called to do was to teach some of the things I'm going to teach you tonight, Islamic apologetics, you know, the defense apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, and specifically Islamic apologetics. And so as I'm teaching, you know, you can hear the call from the minaret, uh, the call to prayer, um, and you can hear um, the Muslims not too far away, and of course, they can hear us. And so when I'm teaching throughout this uh, week, you know, I'm always looking to my left, you know, because they're right out there. I can see them, you know, and, uh, you know, hoping nothing is flying in the window at me or anything. Uh, but uh, on the first day, you know, we, we didn't have this time, but alarm ministries came, and they gave these men 
brand new Bibles. Now, many of these guys you see here in this picture, they look like young boys. Why is that? Well, if you remember Idi Amin in Uganda, right, the military Islamic dictator slaughtered millions, millions of Christians. And many of these men here, their fathers were the ones who were killed by Idi Amin. There, I've been to the killing fields where they found hundreds of thousands of bodies. Uh, but many of these young guys here, their fathers were killed under that regime. Well, we were there, and Alarm came and handed these men brand new Bibles. And so they got brand new Bibles that day. And then I preached the first session on the authority and inspiration of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I was teaching all day, and when I was done, one man stood up, and he began shouting, you know, in the Ugandan language. I couldn't understand. And I looked at my translator, and I said, what's he saying? And he said, you know, for too long now, uh, the Muslims have come and they have challenged us. And we have never been able to answer their challenges. And now, for the first time, I feel equipped and ready to engage them when they come. Then another brother stood up and he started yelling again, you know. And I looked over at the translator. I said, what's he saying? And he said, um, for too long now, when the Muslims come on their evangelistic crusades, we have only run from them because we could never answer them. Now, for the first time, I feel that we can meet them and we can effectively share Christ with them. Then a third guy stood up and he said, for, for so long now, we have prayed that someone would come and train us and show us how to meet the challenge of Islam. And now, for the first time, we feel equipped. And then uh, the elder statesman stood up there and he said, gentlemen, we've got a brand new Bible. And from what we have heard today, I love God and I love his word more than ever. And they got up and they broke out into singing. Uh, and they were singing really loud, holding up their brand new Bible, singing, Heaven Earth will pass away, but God's word will endure forever. And remember, the mosque is right over there, and they can hear everything these guys are saying. We're able to teach them, and we got to see the entire uh, nature of the conference change. You know, they came in really burdened and they looked uh, really defeated by the end of the conference they were ready to go okay i expect the same kind of response after tonight if i don't get it i'll be very disappointed here all right now as we begin sharing with our muslim friends by the way uh two great websites for you probe.org evidence and answers.org evidence and answers uh it's my radio show website where you can listen to some great interviews from some of the top Islamic experts in the world, teaching you how to share Christ with Muslims, how to understand Islam, how to understand the Quran, and uh, how to share Christ with Muslims, and some great, exciting testimonies of ex-Muslims coming to Christ. There's one guy, Jerry Rasamni. He was a Islamic terrorist, and he came to Christ, and he wrote a book from Jihad to Jesus, and I call him Jihad Jones, you know, but... Uh, un uh, some, so some great resources for you there. Now, when sharing Christ with Muslims, here's some of the barriers that you need to keep in mind. First is the corruption myth. Now, according to Islam, the earlier prophets such as Moses and Jesus brought truth from the word of God, but over time their followers corrupted God's true intent, and Muhammad came to correct those perversions, and therefore the Bible has been corrupted by the Jews and the Christians, and it's no longer reliable. Second, 
That's final mentality. Muhammad is the last of the prophets. There can be no further revelation. Questioning the meaning of the Quran as held by the local imam is strictly prohibited. Number three, the greater zeal, greater reward mentality. Zeal and strict adherence to the tenets of Islam will re uh, result in greater rewards in paradise. So a zealous Muslim will be proselytizing and sharing to others, but not allowing any to uh, share with him. And finally, the ultimate penalty, apostasy. It is written in the Islamic law that if anyone converts from Islam to another religion, the penalty is death. This is the hadith. There's uh, two major authoritative teaching sources in Islam. The first is the Quran. Okay? That's the inspired word of God, the perfect book that has come down from heaven, Muslims believe. And the second one is the hadith. Okay? The hadith was written about 200 years after the life of Muhammad, supposedly writes down the sayings of Muhammad by his followers. Now, in volume 9, book 84 of the hadith, says this, some atheists were brought to Ali and he burnt them. The news of this event reached Ibn Abbas, who said, if I had been in his place, I would not have burnt them. Ooh, nice guy. As Allah's apostle forbade it, saying, do not punish anybody with Allah's punishment, fire, I would have killed them. According to the statement of Allah's apostle, whoever changes Islamic religion, then kill him. Okay, so he's a nice guy. He said, I wouldn't have burned them, I would have killed them. Ibn Warak a former Muslim and a Muslim scholar now, writes this, It is quite clear that under Islamic law, an apostate must be put to death. If even a pubescent boy apostatizes, he is imprisoned until he comes of age. When, if he persists in rejecting Islam, he must be put to death. So that is the ultimate penalty of apostasy. So keep that in mind as you're sharing with Muslims. And then here's some practical tips. Number one, don't argue with them. To lose an argument is to lose face, which is very humiliating for them. If they're not willing to enter into a nice, civil, intelligent discussion, then you can be on your way. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, do not cast your pearls before swine. Okay, if after a few moments they are just, they are not listening, they're not making any sense, uh, they're just losing their temper. You can just say, well, hey, when you're ready to discuss this civilly, you know, we'll come back and we'll discuss this uh, some other time. Once I was on the radio and a man from Kuwait called. Uh, he called us on the radio and, um, you know, in his Middle Eastern accent, I can't do it very well, but he goes, hi. You know, he says, I want to debate you. Yeah, and I said, I said, oh, you know, uh, well, what is your question? He goes, I don't want to ask. I want to debate. All my friends are listening from all over the Middle East. You know, I call here from Kuwait. Uh, I want to debate you. No Christian has ever answered me. I have an argument and nobody can answer me. And I said, oh, all right. Um, I said, what, what, is, what is the argument? And he said, the Bible allows the drinking of alcohol. Number two, therefore, people get drunk drinking alcohol. Therefore, number three, the Bible is responsible for the death of millions of people drinking alcohol. And I said, well, thank you very much. Next caller. And uh, I was going to move on, and my co-host said, I think he's serious about this argument. And I said, no, he can't be. He's, 
He said, yeah, I think this guy is serious. And uh, so he kept him on the air, and I said, I said, is this a serious argument? He said, yes, yes, it is. He said, no Christian has been able to answer me on this. And I said, I said, really? He said, yes, you know, the Bible allows for the drinking of alcohol. People get drunk drinking alcohol, and therefore the, uh, the Bible is responsible for millions dying of alcoholism. And uh, I said, okay. I said, I said, if you're serious about this, here's, here's the one. Premise number one, the Bible does allow for the drinking of alcohol. But I said, premise two is false. The Bible does not cause anyone to become an alcoholic. Okay? People choose to become an alcoholic. If you read in the Bible, there's so many warnings against uh, the taking of alcohol. There's so many warnings against it. The only time it's prescribed, really, is for medicinal purposes, you know, in the book of Timothy. Uh, and I said, other than that, there's so many prohibitions and so many warnings. Okay? If anything, the Bible keeps you from becoming an alcoholic. Therefore, premise three is incorrect. And then he stood there. Uh, well, so and then he was kind of silent on the phone there. And I said, I've got a question for you. And I gave him a couple arguments uh, that I'll be sharing with you tonight. And he was silent for a little while. And he said, you have not proven anything. All you have proven is two religions are false. But you have not made a case for anything. You have not shown your side to be true. And I said, sir, I just showed your argument to be false. I brought up some great points from the Quran. Now, will you answer these? Because you have not proven anything. All you have shown is two religions to be false. And I said, okay. You know, I said, thank you very much for calling. You know, uh, call back again some other time. You know, we just had to go on our way. So if they're not wanting to enter into a civil discussion, then you can simply uh, go on your way till they're ready to uh, enter into an intelligent dialogue. Speak to them one-on-one. -on -one. You'll get more done that way because to lose an argument in front of people is to lose face. So try to speak to them one-on-one -on -one if you can. Men with men, women with women. Don't use a marked-up Quran or a marked-up Bible. Okay? That's a sign of disrespect, very offensive to them. Be very careful when you critique the Quran or critique Muhammad. Right? For them, the Quran is, e is equal okay, uh, to blaspheming Allah. You see all the uh, death threats leveled on men who have critiqued the Quran. Uh, Salman Rushdie is a great example. Also, you see the um, Swedish cartoonist who made a cartoon of Muhammad and the riots that that caused. All right? and he has also had to go into hiding. So be very careful in critiquing the Quran or Muhammad. Don't get into the Trinity debate with them right away. If they want to go there, you can often ask them, well, what do you mean by the Trinity? They think you are a polytheist. Or the Quran, chapter 5, teaches that the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and Mary. All right, so they've got the wrong concept of the Trinity. So often you can ask them, well, what do you mean by the Trinity? And finally, get acquainted with them. Build friendships with a Muslim friend. Most in, who have come to the U.S., are peaceful people seeking a better life. Pray with them. You know, they're impressed with the personal nature of a Christian's prayer and stress that we can have a personal relationship with God. Now, here are some key distinctions to keep in mind as you're sharing with Muslims. One of the biggest myths is that Christians, Jews, and Muslims all worship the same God. 
incorrect. Okay? That is not correct. We Christians worship one God revealed in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is blasphemy in Islam. Okay? That shirk the unpardonable sin of blasphemy, worthy of death. Right? In Islam... Allah is absolute and one. To associate anyone or anything with Allah is shirk, the unpardonable sin of blasphemy, worthy of death. And chapter 112 of the Quran says, He is God, the one and only, God, the eternal absolute. He begetteth not, nor is he begotten, and there is none like him. God forgives not the sin of joining other gods with him, but he forgiveth whom he pleases other sins than this, one who joins other gods with God hath strayed far, far away. So anyone who holds to the doctrine of the Trinity or that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God has committed the unpardonable sin of blasphemy. And behold, God will say on the day of judgment, O Jesus, Son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, Worship me and my mother as gods in derogation of God? He will say, Glory to thee, never could I say what I had no right to to say. Okay, so here in the Quran, Jesus says, no, I never told people to worship me. No, I never did. I'm not the divine son of God. In the Quran, it has Jesus rejecting his deity. In the Bible, it teaches that Jesus Christ is the divine son of God, God incarnate. Okay, Islam rejects that. Islam teaches that Jesus is a man. He's a great prophet but he is a man. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary. Okay? And this is not a complimentary term when they say son of Mary. All right? Jesus, son of Mary, was only the messenger of God and his word that he committed to Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say not three. Refrain, better is it for you. God is only one God. So those who would claim that Jesus Christ is the divine son of God have committed the unpardonable sin of shirk, blasphemy, worthy of death. Christianity, we believe that the Bible alone is the unique and inspired word of God. Islam teaches that the Bible has been corrupted. Therefore, the Quran is of greater authority than the Bible. In Christianity, the relationship we have to God is described in the Bible very intimate terms. You know, one of them is to a father and a son. Islam does not have that. Okay? In Islam, Allah is distant. He's watching you. He's going to judge you. But you can't have that intimate relationship as taught in the Bible. The relationship taught in the Quran between Allah and his people is revealed as a master-slave kind of relationship. And that's the kind of imagery you have in the Quran. Such intimate imagery, such as Psalm 32, the Lord is my shepherd, a caring shepherd who knows his sheep very intimately, cares for their daily needs, is void in Islam. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, where God is represented as the father. He sees his lost son repenting and coming home, and the father what? runs to the sun. Right? That kind of imagery is not found in Islam. The relationship Muslims have to Allah is described as a master-slave kind of relationship. There are 99 names for Allah in the Quran, but love and father are not one of them. 
Okay, so Allah holds his followers accountable for their words and their works, and they will be judged by him on Judgment Day. Salvation. The Bible teaches that salvation is by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. The only thing we are called to do is to receive the gift of grace that God has given us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. In Islam, it is through works. For every man, there is an angel on his left and an angel on his right. One records the good deeds, one records the bad deeds. And on the day of judgment, the books will be opened and every man will be judged. And if Allah is merciful, if your good works outweigh your bad works, and Allah is merciful, he'll allow men into paradise where they will have many virgins whom they can take for their wives. Okay? The Hadith teaches 70 for martyrs, 40 for good Muslim men. Because salvation is works-oriented, no one has assurance of salvation in Islam. Even Muhammad did not know what his eternal state would be. Well, justice is really getting good. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers, and we'll pick it up there next time for part two on sharing Christ with Muslims. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucherin. It's our hope that you've gotten a lot of good information from this program, and we'd like to hear from you. Go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and give us your feedback. Browse our resources while you're there. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. And no matter your spiritual background, we think you'll find fascinating topics and an intelligent presentation of the claims of Christ. We also would like to ask you to support us financially. Your gifts help keep this program on the air. Just click